Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and today I have a special guest, Dr. Tatiana Kolodkov. I'm so excited to bring her on the show today. Let me tell you a little about her. Dr. Tatiana Kolodkov is the owner and founder of Project Yes. She is a first-generation immigrant and now a North Carolina transplant. She merges her training backgrounds in clinical psychology with a lifetime of studying Eastern philosophy, yoga, and meditation. Dr. Kolodkov earned her PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Wyoming, did a postdoc fellowship at Duke Integrative Medicine, has her SIPACT license, and is a certified yoga teacher. Much of her work involves enhancing the mind-body connection and cultivating presence. We have a really exciting episode for you today. So welcome, Tatiana. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here and just felt really called, especially with the launch of your podcast and the mission of how you hope to help us all feel more belonging and um, connected to one another. Oh, great. That's wonderful. Already, I feel connected to you. We just had a little chat. So yes, um, (laughs) tell me about your kind of personal and professional journey to becoming a therapist, whatever you want to share. I think my journey started a long time ago, way before my parents had the time to disapprove that I was interested in psychology, (laughs) but I read a book, She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb, which is this woman's story of like, essentially in some ways falling apart and then helping herself pull various resources and heal herself. And Mm -hmm. I just was really drawn to that story and kind of kept that in the back of my mind, went into undergrad thinking I was going to go into medicine. And then pretty quickly, it resonated for me that psychology was my calling. I had some chronic health problems in college. And so I didn't actually think that I was going to be able to go to graduate school, took some time to work full time before pivoting and then pursuing my kind of graduate education. Mm -hmm. And all along while getting trained, just um, continued to find myself immersed in various wisdom and Eastern traditions and, and trying to see how do these things intersect How do they make sense in my own understanding of existence? And also how can they be of support in how I work with clients? So essentially that led me on to end up at Duke Integrative Medicine for my postdoc, which was a great place to particularly focus at the role of the mind and the body where so many people were coming who had various chronic health concerns. And this was like their last stop on the road of, I don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. So looking for treatments that were not just a medical model treatment. Yeah, that's right. I was on a team with like an acupuncturist and there was food nutrition and stress reduction therapy, all kinds of approaches to really think about a person as a whole being Mm -hmm. rather than a set of problems or symptoms. Mm -hmm. And that really solidified for me the, like the importance of seeing all, all of who we are in the context of mental health work. 
Yes. Wow. And so was there also a connection for you with having some chronic health issues and exploring the um, Eastern spiritual traditions and wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think before I even had really a lot of health problems, I I was, I found myself at an early age trying to understand like, why do we suffer or how do I understand that? I couldn't really initially make it make sense in my original upbringing and sort of my Christian orientation. But when I went more towards yoga and Buddhism and even Taoism, which was through my martial arts background, I just got a lot of other ways of, of thinking about what is the nature of suffering and also that our suffering doesn't define us. So that became mm-hmm. super relevant as I started to develop some autoimmune conditions and found my body not performing the way it was really used to relying on it. Right, right. We, we get so easily disappointed and confused when that happens, especially it's, it sounds like you were pretty active all along. And then when you can't count on what we normally do, you can't yeah. count on your body. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was in high school. I was a high performing Chinese martial artist. And then yeah, I suddenly found myself like passing out. And that, that was like the beginning of my chronic health concerns. And I just didn't know what was happening at that time. So, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. But, but since then it's, it's really also helped me even just the practices themselves, which I'm sure we'll get into later, but um, at times bring me a way to come back to the present or, mm-hmm. or go through moments of physical suffering that otherwise I think would have been much harder. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as therapists, we sit with so much suffering. We, you know, both physical suffering and emotional suffering, you know, and in the yeah. existential suffering. So that question, why do we suffer? I mean, it's so primary to what we do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I want to acknowledge two really important people in my path. One is my father who passed away in 2015, but he was Mm. a very spiritual man and oriented me towards like thinking like, we're not just who we think we are. Like, I think I got that message very early as a child and, you know, started to look into more of like, what does that really mean? And I also- I'm so sorry for that loss of your father. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for saying that. I feel very close to him now, actually. And so my psychedelic work has helped with that too. That's great. I love that you, you took the space to acknowledge him here. That says so much. Yeah. He's, he's really important to me. And um, I drew a draw a lot still from him. Mm -hmm. And I also want to acknowledge my teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra in New York, who's my yoga teacher and from whom I continuously learn more about like how to be a better human and and from whom I learn a lot of the practices that I offer both in my traditional and psychedelic practice. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's so beautiful. I know you have multiple different yoga certifications and I neglected to name them all, but what's, what's so beautiful is just your acknowledgement. Like this is part of you and your energy that you are in connection with your father still and with your yoga teacher, and, and this is really, really important to who you are, your identity, that source of you. Yes. Yeah. I think we, we feel very linked mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's many other beings who I of course could, could thank those here in their physical form and those who are not, but those two, I definitely wanted to name today. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I always encourage my therapist to come in with a bucket of thank yous to give to their clients in their work. And Mm. you just started off with thank yous to such important people in your life. And 
I mean, that just gives me chills. It's awesome. Oh, oh I love your bucket metaphor. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I stole it from someone, but anyone else can steal it too. <laughs> so you mentioned um, that the psychedelic work that you've done has has really helped you. We don't have to talk only about that, but maybe a little explanation about your your current specialties and focus. Um, we'll, sure. we'll share your website and everything, but your level of prof- professionalism and expertise is uh, very impressive and love for you to tell a little about your specialty and who you work with. Yeah, absolutely. So I work with adults across the lifespan and I mainly see folks with pretty persistent anxiety, like debilitating OCD um, uh, and persistent depression, as well as um, extensive trauma history. Many of my clients happen to have chronic health concerns that sort of has happened over time. Um, And so we work at the connection of of those pieces. And my psychedelic work is very much related to the clients that I serve in that it can be a nice adjunct to the therapy in itself can be a helpful support, particularly with what's deemed to be treatment resistant depression. And also is, uh, of course, a wonderful tool for like psycho-spiritual exploration and, you know, examining ourselves. Yeah. So so some of the clients that I serve also identify as in non-traditional relationships. Um, So individuals who are in the Holly and Kink communities and practice um, also um, serves quite a bit of clients who have some sort of uh, minority identity or, or status. Great. Yes. And I also saw that you work a lot with first responders or anybody in that first responder realm, including journalists. Yes. Yeah. That came out of, I I spent a number of years doing a lot of work with, for the Red Cross as a volunteer, I deployed to numerous um, disasters and helped run the disaster mental health operations um, where I, yeah, where I met journalists. And I actually found myself thinking like, gosh, who takes care of the journalists and got it. Right. Who does? Yeah. Well, nobody, they take care of themselves as best Mm. they can. And so I got a chance to be part of the journalism trauma support network. And it was really wonderful to help support individuals that in some ways, you know, give us really valuable information and may even help us like construct sense of reality also often are really under, under resourced. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. That could be a whole, a whole separate (laughs) episode. So I love this this notion of the psycho-spiritual. And maybe you could share a little about what is psychedelic psychotherapy and how do we access like the psycho-spiritual dimensions, whether it's through psychedelics, through yoga, through mindfulness, through therapy. I guess that's like a bunch of questions, but sure. Yeah. Well, I I will define um, just broadly psychedelic psychotherapy as Um, using particular medicines, some of which we might be familiar from them being plant-derived and some of which are synthesized, but they're used with intentionality for the purpose of healing. And Mm -hmm. that intentionality piece I particularly emphasize because in the process, unlike recreational use, there's like the thoughtful decision, there can be a medical evaluation component, there's preparation for both the medicine process and for shifting our state of consciousness. And then a guided medicine experience, which afterwards is followed by a process called integration, which is really as, as you think about the word integrating, like things kind mm-hmm. of coming together, it's making sense of what arose and how do we continue to make meaning from that beyond that altered state or expanded state. Sure. 
And at what point is the therapist involved? Is it throughout this process from the intention and preparation through yes. the guided journey? Yeah. So in my work, I'm in, yeah, I, I, I work with the clients throughout that entire process. And I would say the so-called medicine work, the psychedelic work actually starts from the moment a person decides like, this is what I want to do because something is already like shifting inside them where Mm -hmm. maybe they have a curiosity or a hope or maybe an interest to look at a pain that they've shelved for a really long time. And so that's where the magic I think kind of starts. It's not really about the medicine. The medicine can help us access things that are already within us, but it's just like a set of like keys on a keychain, um, just letting us open that within ourselves. That, that makes sense. You know, there's that phenomenon when somebody has not sought therapy and they make the call or they send the email and they already feel just a tiny bit better, yes. a little bit of hope. But in, in this case, they've already been meeting with a therapist and then you, you're offering them a deeper way to, to really heal. Mm-hmm. Or people sometimes reach out, they're doing maybe other work with a therapist, they're reaching out to me for adjunct work with the, uh, I work with ketamine, which is the only mm-hmm. psychedelic that's legal here in North Carolina. Okay. And so sometimes folks reach out and they want to add this tool. And so then it's working together around whatever goals it is that they may have. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long have you been doing this work? I guess it's, it's dependent on when ketamine was legalized for the psychedelic psychotherapy? Yeah. So I I actually started working tangentially with ketamine back in 2016, right out of my postdoc. I got connected with um, a colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Andrew Kleiss, who at the time was Mm. running the, one of the first ketamine clinics here in the area. And they were not, yeah, they weren't doing psychedelic psychotherapy. They were doing kind of what we might be more familiar with. It was an infusion clinic that Mm -hmm. provided people support for treatment resistant depression. But I got a chance to work with clients. I saw about 40 of his clients over the span of four years. And I got a chance to really see what happens when, you know, there's this medicine and suddenly, you know, a person goes from apathy and bluntness to like a little bit more desire to live or a little bit more of like, I think about it in yoga terms, but like prana or energy, there's just a little bit of vitality from an act perspective. It's like part of what I saw ketamine offer is more of that cognitive flexibility. So I, I, in working with clients who were receiving ketamine outside of my work with them, but me working alongside really inspired me. Like this is an interesting tool. And it wasn't until later that I decided to pursue training in psychedelic Mm -hmm. psychotherapy and, you know, just even reading some of the prep material, like everything started to make sense. I was like, oh, all these things I've been studying in spirituality and about the sacred and how it overlaps with these medicines, it all clicked. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It's, it sounds so nurturing for you as a therapist too. I mean, there's something in the way you describe it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really invigorating. It's been personally nurturing, which I can talk about too, but it also feels like it makes sense to me on a really deep level. I think Mm -hmm. part of what at times frustrates me is in the Western medical model, we over-prioritize like science and science in itself can be like systemically racist and values this kind of data over like wisdom when there's so many cultures that for a very long time have been accessing expanded states through practices like 
you know, not sleeping and breath work and plant medicine, and they use it for community healing, not just for individual healing. So yeah. here we are, you know, trying to do it this other way and perhaps suppressing all of this wisdom. So in the psychedelic realm, at least to me, what I really see is acknowledgement of like, there's so much we don't know. And also yeah. let's, let's learn in other ways besides just relying on science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and those spiritual traditions and practices and wisdoms go so deep. You know, I love how you said even not sleeping or some, you know, traditional religions will have fast days or, you know, fast periods. And so Mm -hmm. maybe it's not involving, you know, a a natural plants, but it's still creating Mm -hmm. a different experience for the individual. Yeah, absolutely. And in other cultures, you see that through like ecstatic practices, through, Mm -hmm. you know, drumming, through chanting, and people are using that to like cultivate qualities or to purify or to come together as a community. And so there's, there's, there are all those ways that, you know, I think can be, it's harder to really figure out how do I give that kind of experience to a client in the context of what might be more traditional psychotherapy? Yes, yes. That's fascinating that you did such work with those 40 patients and then were able to do training yourself because you saw, you know, so much significant change. Yeah. How is your work different now, like incorporating this psychedelic psychotherapy than before you used that? I have to say that for me, it's been one of the most invigorating things in my, in my professional career to have this additional tool. I I really view ketamine as like a catalyst to process or healing. It's, it's not in itself a cure. Of course, the data is, you know, fascinating on the pharmacology and count. Um, It can have this like antidepressant quality, Um, Mm -hmm. but there's really so much about the, the set and setting, the intention with which a person approaches the work, the setting we co-create together. And that's, you know, really a consent-based elaborate process. And then afterwards, you know, the many different levels that we can continue to extract meaning from the experience. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. It's not, it's not, I would say it's always easy and I'm constantly learning about new, new things with, with each, with each client who I support right. on their journey, but it's really, yeah, I, I bet there's a lot of surprises and, you know, just so much, so many new organic things that arise that maybe were unexpected with each client as they go on a journey, but that co-creation, the, the setting up the atten- the intention and the co-creation is that's a really wonderful space to be in with your client. Mm-hmm. It echoes for me. You said you do work with people in non-traditional relationships or like the poly community or whatever. And, and that's also co- a co-creation, I'm sure. Um, yes. With, with a, a specific setup um, as well. Yeah. And I have to say the, the kink community has some of the best practices around uh, negotiation and consent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of what's really important about keeping this work as safe as possible for the individuals that entrust us is that explicit consent and that nothing beyond what they've agreed to when they're in their ordinary state, so to speak, um, Mm -hmm. nothing beyond that will occur and really trusting that, you know, people, I really honor the trust that people give. Um, And so there's various things that I've been really fortunate to learn from the King community that actually helps inform how I prepare people for the psychedelic experience. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Definitely. And, you know, 
to give that trust and to honor it, I think we're it's incumbent upon us to do that. And sometimes we think as therapists we can and we know, but we don't know completely. Like mm-hmm. what you describe, you know, we we really get that opportunity to see how it's done in in other arenas um, and bring that in. And yes. that that trust and bond that you create with the client can really go far for your work together. Right. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of similarity I find between some of the ways that I offer yoga and the space for psychedelics where, you know, for example, one of the things I really love to teach is breath work. And I also really love to teach yoga nidra, which is yogic sleep. And for that, I have to be really present. Like I really have to be watching all the nervous systems in the room and what's happening for people. And I think that's helped me be able to sit for three hours with a person while they're on a psychedelic experience and, you know, not need to do something else with my hands or check my email, but just like, here I am with you, providing you a, like unconditional love and making sure that, that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and Tatiana, that ability gives you that self-care that you need and that sustenance, right? You get it from from the yoga and the way you teach yoga and and monitor the nervous systems and take that information in, but then it transforms you so that you can be in a place where you're not going to be burnt out or, or, you know, questioning yourself during a long psychedelic journey with a client. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I definitely have to um, be on top of taking care of my, myself and related to doing psychedelic work. I, you know, one of the things that things that I think is really important is to look at our own stuff. We all mm-hmm. have our stuff. And not only is it important as a therapist to have your own expanded state experiences so that you can help the client navigate that territory, but to also to be looking at like, what are we holding on to? Like, what's our relationship with, you know, with power, with money, with sex, with being needed, with whatever it is with our transgenerational trauma, because right. that can come up. And that can also be triggered like in traditional as well as psychedelic psychotherapy. And yeah, I've been exactly. grateful for that tool for myself. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So let's go back a step because yeah. we're talking a little about the, the, the ordinary and the non-ordinary states, but if you could give us a little more information about what are these non-ordinary states of consciousness? Sure. I mean, ordinary uh, might bother me just as much as the word normal, but we can think about like non-ordinary states of consciousness are are times in which we are experiencing things differently than we might typically, you know, there's many non-ordinary states we might find in day-to-day existence. You know, for example, when we are really caught in the flow of artistic Mm -hmm. expression or when we're having sex or when we're in the deepest pits of grief. Like those are all non-ordinary states. Okay. I feel really open. Our physiology is changed, but specifically related to, you know, things we're talking about here. These are states that can be intentionally induced, whether that's through like, again, yoga practices, somatic exercises we might mm-hmm. turn to, and also through something we ingest and then it triggers this non-ordinary state. Okay. Right. So I guess then going into the psycho-spiritual a little, the helpfulness of of being in a non-ordinary state or encountering it or trying to um, 
experience that more? I mean, there's, there's psycho spiritual benefit, you know, what else, how, how, how do you encourage somebody yeah. to like, w- want to explore this, especially sure. somebody traditional, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, if I was to speak to someone using like much more secular terms, you know, one of the things that I sometimes explain is just how our like explicit mind and knowing, you know, we know from cognitive science that we actually like make a ton of mistakes. Like there's lots of things that we, we think we know, but our mind is actually just moving so fast. It's making Mm -hmm. appraisals and judgments and categorizing things, but that's not necessarily accurate. There's this other part of us. There's an implicit knowing that's going on, but in, a, in the context of our day-to-day experience, our mental chatter might not allow us to access that, that more implicit knowing. And so if we can slow down or pause a little bit of that default mode network is a term that's commonly used, but right. our typical way of being, what else will emerge? And people get curious, you know, and, and then I might, you know, offer this idea of this inner healing intelligence that actually deep within, we know we know what we need to know. We know what we need to look at. We have a lot of innate beauty and compassion and love. And if only we can pause a little bit of the typical way where are, we're going, then we can access that. We can open that door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just want to give that a minute to settle. It was so beautiful the way you said that, right? We know, we know what we know, but there's so much there. And that implicit knowing, I think most of us long for that to quiet the, that other mental chatter mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. and, and, and to brush up against that presence. Everyone talks about being present, but how many of us can be present and then also experience that deeper knowing that we have inside of us? Yeah. And so we might have moments where we taste that, where we taste, you know, a sense of like, you know, I'm more than, than what the stories other people told me of who I am, or I'm more than my trauma, or I have a connection with something that's sacred, whether we're in awe in the forest or we're laying in Shavasana at the end of a yoga class where we have moments where we taste it. And so this is maybe a more prolonged experience of that, but not to make it sound like it's all bliss because a lot of what emerges in this work is things that need to be looked at things that are kept in the dark. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. So do you actually experience, I don't know, kind of like agitation, like with a client going through a journey when they're in one of those dark places? Has has that happened or oh, do yes. you anticipate it? Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily plan it. I always tell individuals like that, you know, whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to work towards allowing and going towards whatever that is. Um, and actually, you know, it really, that this is some work that I'm really doing, which is, you know, when a person is in profound, like what seems like grief, I don't know what they're going through until we talk about it afterwards, but if they're Mm -hmm. like sobbing or screaming or making big gestures in their body, how do I stay present, but not Mm -hmm. interfere with their process? Because I think sometimes we have the urge to get in there and make sure people are okay or support them, but I actually maybe want to give more space. And so you know, for myself, I had a recent ketamine journey where it was the the first of this kind of experience, but I like profoundly cried and I got to touch a grief that I didn't really have access to or or couldn't process. But that, that also wasn't all that that experience was. And it actually Mm -hmm. felt very complete to me. I felt like, oh, I, 
I did something I've never really got to do before. Wow. Wow. That's so, that's so intense and personal to share that, but, but also like to have some kind of experience that's so different you've ever had in your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. I've had some journeys that are like really just like super spiritual. Like I was laying at the feet of a Buddha and, and I've had some that were about like, you know, just ans- answers to questions because part of intention setting is maybe thinking about like, what, what do I hope to receive? What do I mm-hmm. want the medicine to show me? Um, I often f- find in my own experience and tell clients, like what you think that's going to look like is not at all necessarily how it's going to unfold in the medicine experience. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, and that's the spiritual yeah. part, right? Like even, yes. even when we pray for something and, and we get an answer, but the answer may not be what we thought we were praying for. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great a comparison too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And what is the. So you described kind of like an experience with a client and what is the, the regularity or the frequency that you would have a ketamine journey with a client? Let's say a client who's um, working on trauma. It's so individual. I do not have any prescribed course. Um, I, you know, with some clients, I work with people who are, you know, psychedelic virgins all the way to like psychonauts. So that also varies kind of the rhythm and pace of our right. work. What um, cool terms. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it is also something that we explore together. And I, I really work with clients on maybe even really deciding within themselves, how will you know it's the right time to do this again? Maybe I give some input or suggestions or, you know, indication for that. Uh, but it's something that, we decide pretty flexibly. Sometimes people benefit from having um, numerous sessions. I'd say for depression, we want maybe more of that cumulative effect to really get out of um, a hard spot. Or, you know, if, if a person is really struggling with super rigid thinking that's torturing them, maybe we want to, again, kind of layer a few experiences. But we also need enough, need enough space to really process and digest. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that's so important. And that's something that therapists skip over all the time, right? Allowing that space, even in a, in a regular talk therapy session, allowing for extra silence for that space, for those pauses where there might be some time that the client is processing. And so then it's even more expanded in this psychedelic journey that the the integration may take a lot longer. I mean, faster Mm -hmm. and, and longer in terms of the integration, I I guess. Yes. Um, one of the individuals who trained me, um, in psychedelic work, I won't, I won't name her, um, for anonymity purposes, but she told us in the training that it, it took her eight years to integrate an ayahuasca experience. And she told us at like the start of our academy retreat. And I was like, Oh, this is really good information. It's just like, you just don't know how long you might keep pulling or keep making sense of something that, um, your unconscious mind brings up. Well, we are complex beings. (laughs) Sure are. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think it's that spiritual realm that just is, is so usually hidden from us or untapped. And so then, you know, when you're talking about eight years to integrate such an intense yeah. journey like that. Mm. Well, and that's, all, you know, you were talking about us as therapists taking space. I think we also need to take space in the context of our work. Like 
we absorb so much and we have to find a way to digest it and, and care for ourselves. And there's times in which I've viewed my own um, time, whether that's with my teacher yoga, or like I have my like sacred Saturdays where I do two classes with them, including an hour yoga nidra, like that is my wow. time to like clean out my cup so that I can show up again. Mm-hmm. So we do hard things and we carry so many secrets, so yeah. much pain for others. Yeah, that's true. That that's beautiful that you've carved out those, those Saturdays <laughs> to do that just for you. And it sounds like you are pretty strict with that. Nobody can interfere. <laughs> Very few things can interfere with yeah. the Saturdays. Yes. Yeah. I reconvene with my household at 1230 when, <laughs> when all of that is done. And I'm like, hi, now I'm ready for you. <laughs> right. They're so happy. They're like, oh, she's back. Yes. <laughs> Look how happy and relaxed she is. That's awesome. Well, that, that self-care piece is important. And you were mentioning also about the, the, like one feels really good in Shavasana at the end of a yoga class. What is a little bit more that you could share with us about yoga and kind of going into a a more, what's it called? Non-ordinary state of consciousness. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I work a lot with, um, pranayama, which is, um, controlled of prana and prana is the vital, the vital force that's said to ride on our breath. So when we, when we, um, modify our breath, we can change much of what's going on in terms of how we feel our physiology, we can turn our energy up or down. And so as a result of pranayama practice, I find that we can use it as another tool to give ourselves something that we need, which is very different than, you know, if we were like rationally talking ourselves through an experience, this is not, this is not even, this is a bottom up process. Love it. Yeah. So if we change the way that we breathe intentionally um, and just use the tools within our body, then we can sometimes give us, give us ourselves like activating energy, um, or we might be able to clear the mind a little bit or slow things down, um, even do some breathing that's for like healing. Um, mm. so that those are ways in which I like to use those practices myself. Um, and I like to teach a few of those to um, clients, um, in both in traditional and in psychedelic work, so that they have them as their own like self-healing tool. You know, when you get up in the morning and you feel like you don't want to go, you know, face the right. day, like how about you do a minute of breath work and just let's just see what happens. Oh my gosh. Did you talk to my therapist? That's what she I told did me it. to do. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she did. We all have the same secrets, I guess. <laughs> she, said, try, she said one minute, it's uh, <laughs> just try it. And actually it's, it's, it's been helping me a lot, but something like that sounds so simple and it can be a challenge if, if it's not part of your regular practice. Yes. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I love too, is that you teach your clients and this is so important because we may do different types of modalities with our clients in session, but then they go home. If they're home and they're triggered by a memory or something, what are they going to do? Right. And, yeah, and right. to turn to something healthy versus less healthy, yes. um, but to self-regulate with breathing or, um, you know, some, some other maybe postural, uh, yeah. practices. Yeah. Postural vocal, um, you know, even like imagery. That's one of the things I really love about yoga nidra is, um, you know, the body is, is relaxed, but the mind is awake and you can mm. then take your mind to other places or you can evoke uh, or invoke, I would say other imagery, whether that's for healing or, you know, connection with a 
some form of, of your like spiritual calling, or even to affirm qualities you'd like to cultivate in yourself. It's a different process than hypnosis, but it shares some similarities in that you can kind of plant a seed that then in your not non in your ordinary states, I should say, right. you might find yourself being able to reap the harvest of. Yes. Oh, that's, that sounds amazing. And so many of us want that right now, especially, you know, the start of a new year and we have goals, but you know, there's that challenge of if you're not hitting your goal right away or, you know, the little action steps you put, yes. but almost like a visualization of who you see yourself being <laughs> leads you into becoming that. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, my teacher says many things that I carry with me, but one of the things that he um, uh, talks about is um, what ahead of you, what's ahead of you is amazing. And I just, I just love that simple phrase, oh. you know, um, that if we could really believe that it doesn't mean our life is perfect or that right. all of our problems go away, but really believing in, in our own amazingness or the amazingness of this existence mm -hmm. um, gives me a lot of zest. Yes. Wow. I love that so much. What's ahead of you is amazing. And then he shares that with you. I mean, oh, that's so great. Yes. One of many gifts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a little bit linking kind of your personal experience with the psychedelic work and then incorporating this into your therapy practice. Was there anything else that do you think our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Because mm -hmm. I think connecting like the personal with the professional is, is really cool. Sure. I mean, I, I one thing I want to just name is I think there's a lot of curiosity about psychedelics and I'm a, I'm a big fan of people looking into any form of healing that might call to them. But I also just really uh, want to encourage people to be careful about where they go to have experiences mm -hmm. um, so that they are, physically and emotionally and psychologically spiritually safe. So I think sometimes people feel drawn and then they have a recreational experience. Um, something that comes up is really distressing. They don't have tools for integration and then they just call it like a traumatizing or bad trip. And so I really encourage, even if you're not doing that through like a psychotherapy route, but finding a really, really good support system to do your own exploration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's missing from a lot of the recreation is the integration piece. Yeah. The integration piece and the safety. And, yeah. The setting. I think sometimes people are in, an, are in really unpredictable settings or with people they have mixed feelings towards and um, they don't have maybe the inner building or the resources to guide themselves through. And, and frankly, like just flat out tragedies happen also, yeah. not that I want to scare people, but just being careful about um, the situations you put yourself in if you're interested in that. And same thing, even honestly, if you're going into yogic practices, I think it's important for people to go into trauma-informed spaces or to yes. do what it is that they may know they need in order to feel okay, even if that's not necessarily explicitly offered by the instructor. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, it, it seems like during the pandemic, a lot of people had to leave some of their practices, like going to yoga studios and, and that's coming back now, which is, is really great. It still can be hard to like get over the hump and resume that, you know, to like go mm -hmm. again, to drive to the studio or whatever. 
Do you have any encouraging words? Because this is just like a practical thing that I think a lot of us want to get back into these healthy practices and we haven't done it in three years. Well, yeah, I think first, like, let's just acknowledge that. And maybe we can meet with compassion or hesitation or that sense of awkwardness. And, you know, I think there's maybe there's other things we could do that feel more accessible. Perhaps that's stepping out into nature or, you know, just remembering that our body likes to move and, and, you know, finding our, our, whatever our version of, of churches um, and, you know, mm-hmm. connecting with that um, even with ourselves or with close friends, but also me, yeah, maybe being intentional about it, like taking those small steps to figure out what feels good and, and yeah. beginning again, I yeah. really, not just at the beginning of the year, but we can always, we can always start again. Yeah, that's such, that's such beautiful advice, Tatiana. And it it's so aligned with who you are and what you bring to the world, you know, the intentionality. Um, so I, I shouldn't be surprised, but it just really resonates. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A couple of questions. One is in terms of the community. Like you've talked about your own personal experiences, um, seeing the great experiences of some of um, your clients and and past patients. How do you find community for the psychedelic work? Has that been um, something that's actually brought you more sustenance in your work as a psychologist and more connection? Yes and no. I will say that like among the people who share the longing for the work or are engaging in the work, there's a wonderful community. Um, it's, it has a huge online presence. Through one of my programs, I met an amazing group of people that were part of a small group I was in and we're probably going to stay connected for the rest of our lives. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's definitely community to, community to be had, including through your training programs and their alumni groups. Um, You know, but there's also a lot of people who are hesitant. And when you bring up psychedelics, I still find that, you know, I'm coming out as a psychedelic Mm -hmm. psychotherapist coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I haven't come out to everybody yet, but it reminds me when you said, I told my parents I was going to study psychology. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a, so there's a little bit of that, of that process that I notice. Um, I will say too, just more broadly speaking, one of the things that I, I think is needed is more community-based psychedelic integration spaces where folks who are just members of the community can come and maybe a professional or a a Mm. guide of some sort is facilitating that, but where we can talk about the things that might've arisen, whether that's from recreational or psycho-spiritual or treatment work um, and have a space to talk about it. Um, Cause you know, that really helps not just reduce the stigma, but helps us feel connected to one another um, and then maybe taking some of that energy and inspiration, using it for good. Like I would, yeah. I'm like trying to create that here in the community and haven't totally visualized it, but I would love it for that to then serve as some form of reciprocity for something else. Yes. And so maybe I, this is a perfect time to talk a little bit about project. Yes. Project. Yes. What? I mean, <laughs> talk about community for good and, and improving the world. Tell me about project. Yes. Well, Project Yes is named after my dissertation, which was by the same name. I applied a mindfulness-based intervention for the treatment of non-suicidal self-injury, which had not been applied in that way before. And this was in like rural Wyoming. (laughs) So, 
you know, that was a way in which I was trying to bring again, these other tools towards a profound form of suffering and see what could be helpful. If we learned Mm. how to pause, if we learned how to forgive others and ourselves, then what could be possible? And I like the name just sort of like, I, I kept it with me, but project yes is about just living. And it's about helping individuals do that. You know, we offer psychotherapy and yoga offerings, but also public education and numerous that are things that are free for the community, citing skill services for interns. Wow. So it's kind of that broad spectrum. I hope to include some ketamine for death and dying work in the next couple of years. And I'm slowly making my way towards that, but really the spectrum of what it means to live and how we can support ourselves and, and the community. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And we will definitely link to your resources. Um, Tatiana has an amazing Instagram account. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's also your TikTok. I'm not sure, but. No TikTok yet. (laughs) Okay. Well, you should do TikTok because you're awesome. Yeah. Um, And so you you have to watch some of, some of her reels because they're, they're really inspiring and you learn so much and um, you get to experience her energy just like this, which is so great. Yeah. Thanks. I'd love, I'd love for those to be a resource. And sometimes I'm just goofing off and having, having fun on my Instagram. (laughs) Right. That's part of our amazing life. (laughs) We get to goof off. I always ask these two questions at the end and you've kind of already talked about this a little bit, but speaking from the heart, what's something you would say to a client? I think one of the, one thing I might say to a client is maybe like trust yourself in this process whatever that process is. But I think that's a lot of what we need is, is learning how to to listen deep within and actually like trust that. Yeah. So that's something that comes to mind of what I would share with a client. Yeah. Trust yourself with the process. Beautiful. And speaking from the heart, what would you say to a therapist? I mean, thank you for all you do. (laughs) Yeah. That, that, you know, like that, that, that's spot on. Yeah. That's really spot on. (laughs) Yeah. We do a lot, Um, right? That's so we beautiful. We do so much. We do so much. Um, I was just yesterday at a gathering with a bunch of poly and kink friendly therapists, and we were just expressing appreciation that we're not like, you know, on an island somewhere by ourselves, but instead mm-hmm. can be um, in community uh, together. But truly, especially after the last few years, gosh, and all the things happening in the world, um, yeah. I'm really grateful that there's so many people out there wanting to be of help to others. Oh, absolutely. And how wonderful. You also have a community of therapists who specialize in poly and kink that you get to hang out with. Like, this is what we need as therapists. That's why I have this podcast. That's why I have the Heart Centered Therapist Facebook group to create community. Um, yeah, and I, I love that you're doing that and that you allow us to come in our more like raw, real self because for years, I, I never found a space professionally where that felt possible is mm-hmm. to actually admit what's what's hard or painful. And um, I, I'm just so grateful that you offer a space for people to be authentic and for us oh. to learn from one another. Oh, thank you for saying that. That really touches my heart. It's it's so important. And, you know, like you said, we've experienced it ourselves personally. And so that's why we do this. That's yes. why we do this work and create and find these spaces. Anything else be before we say goodbye in terms of how people can find out more about you or your, um, your, your psychedelic psychotherapy work, or if they want, you know, even if another therapist wanted to learn something or find out who should they talk to in, in their state or whatever, like, would you sure. have resources? 
Yeah, I'm happy to point people to some resources. There's great training in like groups. Uh, I highly recommend the offerings by Polaris and Prati if you're interested in getting training for ketamine. I did the CPTR program for psychedelics, which included the MAPS training. Mm-hmm. I do want to, uh, you know, have people be aware though that, you know, some people feel really called to do the MDMA work, but you might be investing now for something that hopefully and could come, but potentially in several years. So just right. gauge if that feels right for you. Uh, but I'm happy to be a resource if folks want to reach out. I do offer supervision and consultations. And in, a, in about two months, we'll also have a whole dedicated section on ketamine and the ketamine process on my website, which is currently, um, that part is under construction, but I hope that that can be also a resource therapist can direct clients towards or learn for themselves, uh, gather some information there. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And the projectyes.com will link to that as well yes. for Tatiana's website. The other thing I want to remind everyone is the great advice you gave us if we want to get back to something is to be intentional, give ourselves some compassion and just mm-hmm. begin again, whether it's yoga or something else, mm-hmm. that one minute breathing in the morning, <laughs> whatever yes. it is. Yeah. We might need those reminders for ourselves. Like we try so hard to help others and we, we need to be kind towards ourselves and what we intend to do. Yes, we do. And well, what's ahead of us is amazing. I also uh, want to <laughs> come back, say that, back to that. Say that again. Yeah. Just reminding us that what's ahead of us is amazing. And holding I love on to it. That. Hold on to that. Thank you so much, Tatiana. It was a pleasure. Wish you all the best and oh, we'll talk soon. So Yes, great to be with you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.